Welcome to the Dented Puck Podcast. Each week, we'll be talking about the NHL, being visually impaired, and our favorite combination of the two, blind hockey. We'll be talking shop about everything from the equipment we wear to how we've adapted our play style to fit our site. We'll also be talking to members of the blind hockey community and getting to know their stories and what has led them to the sport. We're really glad to have you with us, and we hope you enjoy the show. This is our small slice of hockey, and we'd like to think that it shows that hockey truly is for everyone. All right, and welcome back. This is episode five of The Dented Puck. This is episode five, right, guys? I guess so. We're going to go with it. Uh, <laughs> as always, I am joined by Tony and Josh. Guys, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing all right. How's everyone doing tonight? What's up, guys? I'm glad to finally have this episode on. It should have been three, should have been four. Now it's definitely five. Yeah, I think that's where my confusion comes from, because uh, our guest today is Bill Landrum, the goalie for the Chicago Blackhawks blind team. Bill, welcome uh, back. How's yeah, it going? Thanks. going? Pretty good, man. Thanks for having me again. I, I say you guys call it a uh, 3.2. Yeah. It it's definitely something other than what the actual episode number is, but we're, we'll go with five, and then we'll, we'll have a secret number for us. We'll make it work. Yeah. 3.2.b.3c. <laughs> Something. We'll, we'll definitely get there. Um, so the NHL's back, guys. I Right now, as we record this, I have the Flyers and the Penguins on in the background. That's really exciting. And, and uh, I didn't think I would be as excited as I am to have hockey back. But here we go. Yeah, I'm cheering for the Penguins. Crazy. I couldn't be more ecstatic about the the NHL season. I mean, it's been it just didn't feel right come October not to be sitting down watching a Blackhawks game. Well, yeah. you get it tonight. Hawks and Lightning play at uh, seven Central, so that's going to be a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be it's going to be nice to watch. And I think it'll be interesting. I think this will be a really excellent opportunity for guys like Strom and Kubelik to to show that they can can play up, like in Strom's case, being the the first line center, and to show that they can continue doing what they did last season, even without guys like Taves and Saad. I mean, Kubelik's going to have to find a way to score in the same you know what he had thirty. Thirty goals. Gets to play with Patty Kane. Does he? You don't. You don't think they'll go Strom, Kane, and uh, Debrinket? I hope they put Kubalik on the first line. I mean, the guy's a weapon. He's got the best shot on the team. <laughs> I I still think Kubes is going to be second line, but I think on a power play, you're going to see Kubalik with Kane, Debrinket, and uh, Strom. Good call. Yeah, I don't know how they'll do it. I mean. Who knows? I mean, <laughs> we could get blown out ten to nothing today, or you know, it could be, it could be a good game. I hope it's a good game, man. Even if we lose by one or two, like I just hope that it's competitive and we just don't look like, like we have Malcolm Subban in the net. <laughs> he might. He it's his it's his first shot to be a legitimate number one goalie. I feel like for a lot of these guys, it's proving that they belong in the NHL. 
So maybe he'll come out and, and have a chip on his shoulder and just be a monster. He's got good numbers in the minors, so let's see how it translates. He's not I'm, a bad goalie. He's just like like Drew was saying, he's just never really been tested and it's a complete different mindset when you're the number one guy. But I trust I'm imagine, me, I know. <laughs> yeah, right. I imagine his leash is probably incredibly short and that if he if he's just not doing well, then they're gonna give Delia the true shot. Yeah. I think they're going to split time. We'll see how it goes. And I think it's going to end up being where Kaladin's going to play the hot hand. Um, but but as a number one goalie on a team, I can tell you that it, it is a different mindset. It, it really is. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I mean, I think the season is, is not drastically shortened, but it's still shortened enough that you're going to see them. The may, maybe not every other game, but I'm, I'm sure one guy will play two games and then one guy will play and, and they'll go from there. But, uh, scheduling and travel may have, have a say in it. Yeah. 56 games in three months. Peace. That's yep. a lot of, it, it's going to be quick. Yeah. And, and Josh, your devils start tomorrow, right? Yeah. Tomorrow. How do you, how do you think they're going to do? They're also, I found out today, one of the only the one of three teams remaining in the NHL that don't have a captain. Yeah, I mean, are, are we should throw a captain off. Uh, I expect it to be Paul Mary. Um, yeah, but who who knows? We'll see. It could have been Crawford. That didn't really work <laughs> out either. I think they got I mean, rid of goalie captains. Happy <laughs> trails to him. But uh, I'm I'm sure it's health related. But uh, it's I, I don't expect anything. I expect the the two or the three or four young guys to get better. Um, and Blackwood to obviously have to play forty two, forty three games now. Well, they play tonight. Oh. They they play against Boston. Do they? I thought it was tomorrow. No, no they play tomorrow. Oh, yeah, no, I'm looking at this. It's just Thursday. My apologies. Needed okay. to magnify. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's this season, this season is going to be. I, I feel like we, I feel like you say it about every season, though. You know, it's going to be weird this year. Or it's going to be different or things are going to be crazy because that's yeah. just, that's the NHL, though. I mean, you had Tampa getting swept by Columbus in the first round of the playoffs last year. Uh, you had a, a COVID bubble for the playoffs this past season. Like, I, I feel like there's always something unique about each season, and so I'm interested to see what kind of well, characterizes this one. You figure the Hawks, that people said they had no business playing against Ottawa, and they took them out. Oh, Edmonton. Or yeah, Edmonton, you're right. It was Edmonton, the Oilers. And you know what? I knew we were going to be They were there. playing in Ottawa is what it was. Nope, they're playing in Edmonton. Right? Was it Edmonton they played? I thought they were in Ottawa. Which is what was beautiful because the team that was in the ho- that was playing in their home rink, the only team that could win the cup on home ice, got knocked out from the play-ins. Yep. Well, what are you gonna Blackhawks. do? Be excited to be a Blackhawks fan. Well, we'll see what happens. Yep. They count for real. Yep. So. Bill, it is it is that time. We are going to run through our three periods with Bill Landrum. Uh, just as a, a 
quick recap. We do this because we found out as we talk about hockey and blind hockey specifically, we tend to meander and ramble a little bit. So we're going to break it up into some questions for you and kind of get to know you and your experiences and uh, go from there. Let's do it. All right. So, Bill, in in our first interview and a third interview and a half, uh, we learned that really your story is is, ba- is basically a story of baseball before it transformed to a story of hockey. So I think your best way to introduce people is kind of tell people your story of sports and growing up with your with your visual disability and how ba- how baseball took how your story through baseball and then back into baseball and a little bit about beat baseball too is kind of like a come out and try it. So. Yeah, it's a little little background here. Um, I am 39 years old. I'll be 40 in March. Um, I was born with a disorder called retinitis pigmentosa. And so as I aged, the vision deteriorated. I used to have relatively normal vision, 20 over 40. Um, even drove. <laughs> but I played sided baseball. Um, in Little League, I started as a uh, an outfielder was moved to catcher and because of a throwing arm uh, was a pitcher and I'm a left-handed pitcher and I threw um, four pitches uh, for so well five actually four seam fastball two seam fastball splitter uh, straight change up and a slider um, and and that array of pitches for a left-handed starter is, is pretty nasty it's hard to deal with um, I played really most of my teen life and then going into adulthood, I just, baseball was, was everything to me. Um, and I was forced to quit because the vision started to deteriorate at a very rapid rate. And when you throw a two seam fastball and it leaks over the heart of the plate and it comes back at your head and you don't see it, but you hear it whiz right past your left ear you realize something's wrong and a coach just came out and asked me, you know, what happened? Usually you snare that ball. And I told him I, I didn't see it. I had no idea that ball was coming to me. And he's like, what do you mean? You, you didn't see it. It's like I, I, point blank. I didn't see it. I heard it. I didn't see it. So I finished the inning. They got the bullpen warmed up and I went up the tunnel and I'm trying to look at the lineup card. And I'm like, I can't even see the lineup card. And that's when I realized that the, the vision was going and it was going quick. Um, so I ended up seeing a couple of specialists and they found out that, yeah, the vision was deteriorating. My visual acuity had become 20 over 220 at the time. So I had to get a low vision clinic and special glasses and this, that, and the other. And it led into a downward spiral of, uh, uh, drinking and, and depression that, uh, consumed me for years. And, uh, you know, through the help of some friends and some good people, I found my way out of it. Um, and then uh, was introduced into beat baseball, which actually came across completely by accident. My wife, she watches a lot of TV shows and she was watching an old episode of Little House on the Prairie. And there's an episode there where they're at the blind school and they're helping the students play baseball using ropes and various other, you know, adaptive means and my wife said you know if they've got this then because it's supposed to take place in like the 1800s they've got to have something now and so 
one day about three o'clock in the morning, I just looked up blind sports in Chicago and I came across the Chicago Comets, which is our blind baseball team or beep baseball, as we call it. Um, made a phone call to the coach that morning and went in for a tryout the following Saturday um, and immediately made the team. Uh, I've been playing beat baseball now. I'm going into my 10th season. Um, I'm a four-time all-star. I've led the league in home runs twice, and this is where it leads into hockey. Uh, one of my teammates on the team, his name is Mike McGlashlin. He's an older guy, um, real big, huge hockey fan, and uh, we all call him Hoodlum. Long story to that that I'm not going to get into, um, but he found out about the blind hockey through Amy LePoe. And so he was all excited and wanted in on it. He's like, you got to come do it. You got to come do it. And I was like, dude, I've never skated before. I don't know anything about playing hockey other than, you know, trying to play it on the PlayStation. And so he's like, well, you're going to come. And I'm like, I, I don't know. We'll see. So he, he shows up at my house and he spends the night. And my wife's like, yeah, we'll take you up to the ice rink. We'll check it out. So we get up there and they fit me in skates and stuff. And, and it's funny because they put me in skates that didn't even fit. They didn't have the inside pads to it. So my first experience in skates, I'm literally standing on the rivets that hold the blade in place. Oh, All my feet were tore up and soaked in blood when I was done. It was bad. But I spent most of my time on my backside, couldn't hold my balance. And then to find out the skates weren't even sized right, they were too big. Because they went by my shoe size and not what my skate size would be. So that created a different problem on top of it. Um, but after that night, I'm like, that's it, you know, because my wife, she recorded the whole thing and put it up on the internet. She's laughing at me because I spent so much time fall and I couldn't, you know, I couldn't stay standing. I right. My balance. Uh, I'm sorry. I have to ask, do you, do you still have that video? It's on Facebook. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if you, if you find me or my wife on Facebook, um, you, you can probably dig back and find it from 2015. Nice. Um, it, it's it's terrible. Like she, she was laughing at me the whole time. And I just, you know, cause I was always a guy that said, you'll never get me on skates. It'll never happen. I'll never get on the ice. Cause my wife's like, you should go skating with me. And I'm like, I'm not doing no figure skating crap. I'm not, not into that. No. And then I end up getting on the ice to try to play hockey and embarrass the absolute crap out of myself. It was a disaster. But then I was like, all right, that's it. You laughed at me. So now I'm doing this for real. Um, ended up getting with the team did the learn to skate. Um, my learn to skate coaches were Carla Pentamone and Haley, but I don't know Haley's last name. I, I wish I did. She's one of the coaches on our team. She's 20 now, a young girl. So she was really young when she was trying to teach me how to skate. Um, but it took me six months to learn to skate and uh, ended up playing center for the Blackhawks for a while because I got quick hands real good for the face-off dot. And that all stems from martial arts training. Um, I study Taekwondo and Hapkido. I'm a black belt in Taekwondo, uh, certified as an instructor. So got real good quick hands, and it was great for the face-off dot. But because my vision was deteriorating even faster at that point, uh, I went from 20 over 400 to what I am now, 20 over 820, with total blindness in my left eye. Uh, Coach Mike Svack decided that it was best to see what I would look like as a goalie because he said with my athleticism and my ability to track the puck without eyes, um, I would make a good goalie. 
and my beat ball experience playing defense in center field um, would really amplify that capability. And so we tried it. And I had been goalie for one month and was summoned for a U.S. national team tryout in Tampa Bay, Florida. Or no, in Chicago, not Tampa Bay, in Chicago. And that was in 2018. Um, and what made me realize that the goalie thing was going to stick was that in the first game that I was put in, we were losing one nothing. I was not the starting goalie. Um, the starting goalie for that game was Liz from the Hartford Brailers. And uh, she allowed one goal in her 30 minutes of play. They brought me in in the second half. And I threw up a shutout for the rest of the game. Allowed no goals. And we ended up winning that game 4-1. to one. And that right there was like, I can do this. Yeah, man. Uh, so tell us a little bit more about beat baseball. Uh, what what the difference is for the players? What's the difference from, you know, the regular baseball? All the players on the field are blindfolded. We are not allowed to use our vision at all. Um, when the ball is put into play, one of the two bases will sound a buzzer. And you, that designates which base you are to run to. If you reach the base safely before they pick up the ball, it counts as a run. If they pick up the ball before you get to the base, you're out. Any ball caught on the fly is automatic end of inning, regardless of the number of outs. Any ball hit in the air more than 170 feet is considered a home run. The beat baseball is a 16-inch softball modified and packed with a battery, a computer chip, and a speaker. Uh, ball weighs a little over a pound. So to hit a beat ball at 170 feet, it's like hitting a Major League Baseball about 440. So, And I've, I've done it multiple times, which is a rarity in, in the game. Uh, um, how, how often do people actually catch the ball out of the air? It has only happened five times in the history of the game. The last person to do it was a Chicago Comet by the name of Wally Moisures, who's since retired. That was done in 2003 during the World Series playoff tournament. And is it, I mean, is it just because that's not your in, intention in the game is to try and catch it out? That it oh, no, I try. I deliberately try. Um, I actually had one last season a fly ball that was hit. I actually had it. And as I was landing on the ground, I ended up losing the ball, um, which really sucked because the guy ended up being saved because the ball ended up rolling away from me. Um, it's just that hard. Uh, the ball's coming off of that bat, you know, with velocity, sometimes awkward angles with backspin. And, and you're trying to get this thing secured in the air. I mean, unless it's hit right at you, it's almost impossible to do. And I, almost caught one on a diving attempt, picked it out of the air, landed and still, and ended up dropping it. Um, I would have been the sixth to do it if I would have held on to that. How does that thing fit in the glove? I use a first baseman's mitt. Not all players use a glove. Um, I opt to, and I started, um, you know, playing sided ball, you always wear a glove. When I started beat ball, I didn't. What got me to start using a mitt was being a goalie. And getting used to the glove again, I'm like, you know, I got to go back to a mitt. So uh, I opted for a first baseman's glove because it's a larger pocket. And the beat ball fits right inside that pocket perfectly. Makes sense. 
Would catchers mitt have much padding in it? No, the catch, uh, it would be too awkward, and it's not shaped well enough to catch a beat ball. Uh, it, it, the pocket is, it's designed for a baseball. You can't open it wide enough to catch a beat ball. Gotcha. So even catchers in our league, they either go barehanded or they'll use like a first baseman's mitt or a third baseman's glove. All right, so how do you hit the ball? That was the one question I still didn't All right, so the way the batting works, the pitcher and catcher are both sided. Um, they're the only sided players on the field, but they cannot be involved in any defensive plays because they're on the same side as the offense. And so the okay. pitcher is going to chuck the ball, and you are going to, based on the pitcher's cadence, so they'll say something similar to like ready, set, pitch. Um, and you'll use that cadence to time how they throw the ball when that ball is going to be coming into the hitting zone right over home plate. And so then you have to um, take your swing. And, and the idea here is to have a consistent swing that makes it easier for the pitcher to gauge your bat path so that you can get consistent, solid contact. Um, so some batters, they, they, some of them use like a, almost like a golf swing and try to golf the ball up into the air. Um, my swing for those who can see has been compared to Anthony Rizzo. I'm big left-handed guy. Um, got a high leg kick. I keep my hands close to the body, short, uh, short bath path to the ball with a slight uppercut in the swing. Um, cause I'm trying to generate lift. Any ball on the ground, they've got a potential to getting you out before you can get to the base. If I can get enough lift on the ball, I could be three-fourths of the way down the line with my speed before that ball ever hits the ground, giving me a much higher chance to score. So I've seen some some YouTube of beat baseball. When you hit the ball, do you know which side you're going to be running to? Not until the base is turned on. Okay. Some it, it depends on the base operator. Some baser operators will turn it on just before the ball gets to the hitting zone. Some won't turn the base on until after you make contact. Now, if they don't turn it on right away, the idea is you're just going to start running to which base you think should go on, which for me is always first base because I played sided ball. Um, and you just yell late base, and then they are required to turn on the base that you're moving towards if they didn't turn it on by the time you start moving. Um, if during a late base call, they get you out, it's considered a dead play and you play it over. So you get another chance at bat. But if you score on a late base call, the run still counts. So there's no, there's no like real reason to not just run at a base. Correct. Um, you you want to make sure that you're moving, whether the base is on or not, you want to make sure you're running towards a base. And, and uh, if it's on, you have to make sure you're running towards the right base because if you run to the wrong base, well, then you're going to reduce how, you know, your chances of being safe. Because if you run the wrong way and the base is already on, well, that ball's still in play. So that is a factor. So you want to try to give yourself a half a second to realize which base is going off and then take off towards that base. But if after a half second there's no base, you pick one and go. And just yell late base, and, and then they have to turn on the corresponding base to where you're going. So, I think one of the coolest things about knowing you, Bill, is I was away at school 
And coming back in each and every time I would come back to play for the Chicago Blind Blackhawks organization, like was seeing our progression as a goaltender. And I mean, it, it's just incredible. Um, one of the things I would like to ask you is being a goaltender, how do you track the puck so well? Because you like you catch the puck sometimes when I shoot the puck at you and like not too many goalies in, in blind hockey are capable of snaring a puck out of midair. And, you know, we, we got Dougie and, and Drew. I've seen them both do it. I've never seen a goalie in Canada do it, but you know, that happens when you get four shots a game against them. Uh, so how, how do you track the puck so well? So, um, when you have a total loss of vision, your other senses do really pick up, which which is a benefit. Um, I think beat baseball has helped because in beat baseball, the ball is persistently beep 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 beep, and it it doesn't stop the entire game. Hmm. So you're having to track that intermittent sound. In blind hockey, you get the metal puck with the bearings that are inside the puck, and as long as that puck is moving, it always makes noise. And so it does, for me personally, make it a little bit easier to track. Right. And so I have a really good awareness of where the puck's at. And the way that I affirm my awareness of where the puck is at, and, and those of you who can still see a little bit who've played with me, you'll notice that when I'm in net, I will track with my head where the puck's going. Um, do I see it? No, <laughs> I don't see white. That's what I see. I see white on the ice. I don't see anything else other than white. Um, I don't see the puck. I have no idea, you know, where where it's at visually. It's just an audible tracking. Um, and so when the puck is in play and it's moving around, you, you track it with your head. And once it starts to come towards the front of the net. Uh, I then track not just my head, but my shoulders. And I try to square my shoulders to the puck. And the reason why I do that is because I obviously can't see the shooters. Mm -hmm. Now, in inside hockey, NHL, you know, whatever it is, IHL, AHL, that you're always trained to square up to the shooter. Make yourself big and square up to the shooter. Well, I can't see the shooter, so I square up to the puck. And the reason why I'm doing this is because you guys, as blind hockey players, have visual issues yourselves. And so if I square up to the puck and I expand my body out, make myself a little bigger, it reduces your ability to find an open hole. Right? So you guys are trained. We'll get the puck off the ground because if the puck is off the ground, it doesn't make noise. So they're not going to be able to just get the leg blocker in the way and, and you know, kill the puck in the paint. Well, I've learned that when you guys elevate the puck, sometimes that will make a metallic hum, just a real slight hum, you know? Can you do and that noise for me one more time, please? It's, it's kind of a, you know, just a little, little metallic hum. And if it's going fast enough, it'll even whistle. Really? It's a real slight whistle that you can hear as, as the air moves around the puck. You know, and you'll just, you, you catch it. You'll catch that sound, and it gives you an idea of where it's going. 
Now the sound is usually behind the movement of the puck. So you have to anticipate based off of what you're hearing, where is it going to end? And learning how to track the puck in that fashion has given me the ability to get my blocker and or my glove in the right spot at the right time. And I've made catching pucks out of midair a regular practice thing. Right. No, you, to you, the, really you know, to the chagrin of you shooters, it's it, it's it's great for me because it's it's showing the progression. Um, obviously, to your chagrin, it ain't going in, but at the same time, especially as you know, national players, it's making you guys work that much harder. Right. No, and that that's something that I would like to say about you. I mean, I'm shooting on a I'm shooting on a national hockey player quality goalie. And, you know, when we were having practices and stuff like that, it's just like, not only am I training you, but I'm training myself. And it's hard because you're a big guy. You cover a lot of the net. You know, you're almost always in great position. And, yeah, no, it's, I mean, watching you develop as a goaltender has, has really been a joy to watch. And it's been a weekly growth. I mean, I, I try, I try to score and you stop them. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not just going to hold back and just be like, Oh, well, I'm not going to put the puck in the net this time because I want Bill to get better. It's like, no, I want, I'm trying to score. It's like, that's the only way you're going to get better is if I try to score. If, if I don't think you're trying, I'm going to call you out. Right. And, and I've done it on ice. I've done it in the locker room. If I don't think you're giving me your best effort, I will call you out because um, I have one speed and it's go. And if, <laughs> if we're not going, who's making progress? I, I love that you brought that up again, because that is, that is one of my favorite Charlie Sheen quotes is, is he goes, I got one speed. I got one gear. It's go. <laughs> it's like Bill, Bill, Bill Landron. He goes. <laughs> well, Think about it. If 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 we're on the ice and we're not going, you're not progressing. Now, granted, everyone has to take breaks. You know, some people have their medical issues that they have to tend to, including myself. I'm hypoglycemic, so I've got to make sure that my blood sugar stays up. Um, but I'll take my break. I'll get my drink, and then it's get the gear on and let's go. And if if I have to wait for other people to get prepped or prep a drill or, uh, you know, finish their break. Well then you'll, you'll find me in the, uh, in the net, you know, working on butterfly slides or I'll stand up and I'll work on lateral side to side because there are times where I will stand in the net. Um, and it's, it's for two purposes. One, it's, it's to give the shooters a different look and it's to take some pressure off of my old knees. You know, I'm not a spring chicken. So, um, I think for me, it helps to be able to play both ways standing or in the butterfly. Um, and then knowing when, based on how quick the the puck's coming down the ice, you know, if you guys are coming from cross ice, I I can kind of gauge when I should drop, you know, and, and get into that butterfly. Um, you know, but being able to, to, to get up on my feet and then drop helps with, 
being able to cover the post. It helps with uh, mobility. It helps with blood flow. Um, and it also allows me to come out of the net a little bit and, and block shooting lanes. That's what's up, man. And, and, you know, it's just really great to hear how much you know about being a goalie. And, and this isn't something that you just, you know, this is something that you just picked up. You know what I mean? Rel- relatively in what, the last two years? You've been a goalie for two years now? Or two years? This is my third. Okay. Um, my first season as a goalie was actually only a month and a half in gear that didn't even fit me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, my first year and a half as a goalie, I didn't even have goalie skates. I played with the skates I used when I was a center. Yeah, um, not only that, you didn't uh, have the most important piece of equipment uh, possible, and that's just a goalie cup. No, I did not. Um, I played with uh, a standard skater cup, sca- a standard skater jock, um, and... Have I taken shots between the legs? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, in fact, I took one that missed the cup, hit me in the thigh, and dropped me like a brick. Thank you, Tony. Yeah, I still um, feel bad about that. <laughs> it, it it left me with a significant bruising and a tear of the inner thigh muscle, and uh, I was on the shelf for four weeks after that. Jeez. Yeah, uh, that that's one thing that you know you you can't you can't prepare yourself for the pain of getting hit with no with the blind puck it's steel you know rubber pucks hurt as they are the steel puck on flesh is not fun man um but i hung in there and i played another year before i actually found out that there was a special cup for goalies and i still played at a high level um i think since getting the proper gear i probably play better now than i ever have because i'm not worried about getting hit in the crotch Right. Right. No, I mean, just and, and especially like within hockey, you got to have the right equipment, whether you're a skater or like a lot of people I know, like they'll go out to like morning skates and they'll be like, oh, you know, I w- wasn't wearing elbow pads. And then like the next time they go out and skate, they're like, oh, my I fell on my elbow. And it's just like, well, you bonehead, you should have been wearing your elbow pads. Yeah, the gear is important. And it's even more important as a goalie. And and now that I have all of the right gear, um, you you tend to play with a little bit more uh, confidence. You know, I I've got the right skates, I've got the right protective gear, I've got gear that fits now. And uh, yeah, it's it's a good thing. I mean, it's I I got a big six foot one body to cover. You know, I'm six one two twenty, so that's a lot of body. Right. No, yeah, I mean, you're a really big guy. You cover a lot of the net. Uh, just watching you go out and you, you, like you said, you got one speed, you got one gear, and that's go. And every single time you're out on the ice, you are giving it your all, and and it's noticed. Um, and I, I'm just excited for your future because I know how passionate you are about being a, a goalie, not just and and where where your goals. You, you've got a goal. I mean, you're close. You got to keep working as hard as you can. I mean, you, you say you you work out when you're at home and whatnot, and I know I know for a fact you do. I know what type of guy you are, and you're. I mean, the the there's no limit. Like the ceilings, like there's no ceiling here. Like you keep working hard. Like I I I can see you as being a teammate of mine on Team USA. You just got to keep 
give it. You just got to keep having that mindset of one speed, one gear. Let's go. And, you know, and and age be damned. You know, because people are going to look at that and go, "Well, you're 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 forty years old. When are you going to stop?" Um, my answer to that is, I will stop when my body says I can't go anymore. My body will tell Amen. me when I can't go. And when the injuries take over, or you know, you, you no longer have that flexibility or that agility, and you know that you're behind everybody because you can't possibly keep up, well, then you know it's time to quit. But right. If I could still be doing this at 65, I'll still be doing this at 65. So this isn't really related to, to you, but it's definitely related to what you had said. Um, we had a guy on Team USA. His name was Mike Straub. This guy, the first time that he started skating again as a goalie, um, he had to have been in the upper 200s. And this guy put in work. And I mean that this guy, he went as hard as you can possibly go. And now he's in the best dang shape of his life. And he's an old man. He had to have been north. I, I, I'm not old man. I'll say he's north of 50. Okay. He might so even... I'm friends with him. Yes. If I, if I can interject. Um, yeah. As a matter of fact, when, when we did the hockey tournament in Chicago, um, I pretty much spent the whole weekend just hanging out with him. Uh, we had dinner together we'd have breakfast together we we just we hung out and it was we talked nothing about goalie stuff um even though we were opposing each other and i beat him in a couple of games we still communicated it was all about being a goalie and just talking you know theory and you know conditioning um and and he talked to me about how did i condition because he said you know i was in really good shape at the time and at the time i was 36 years old uh, I just finished getting my black belt in Taekwondo, you know, so I was uh, prime condition at that point. And so I, I went over everything that I was doing to get into and to stay into shape. Um, and he, he's a good guy. Don't get me wrong. He's a great guy. Oh yeah. Um, but I want his spot. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to pull any punches friend or not. Yeah. I want his spot. Unfortunately he's, uh, he had to have been replaced because of a visual qualification. Um, but as far as setting the standard for work ethic in blind hockey, he's the guy. He's, he's, he's the guy. No player has worked as hard as he had. No goalie. And I'm not, I'm not coming out and saying that you haven't worked as hard or anything. I'm just saying in general, like he, nobody worked as hard and dedicated more time than, than Mike Straub in, and you know it's it's a shame that he because of a visual qualification he he wasn't able to maintain his spot on the team. But I mean, if if you come at it with that same attitude that he did and work ethic like you've been doing, yeah, man. I mean, the world, Tony Montana, the world is yours. You know, you just one day at a time, one practice at a time, one moment at a time, and it doesn't matter whether it's baseball or hockey. Doesn't matter whether it's your job, <laughs> your schooling, you know, you, you go at it. Um, I, I wish I had the worth ethic now that I have. I wish I would have had that when I was 16, cause I probably would have passed school with better grades. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you tell me, man. All right, Bill. So let's, let's talk shop. 
Uh, you were talking earlier about how sometimes you'll stand in the the crease. Uh, from from all the blind hockey that I've watched, the it seems like the kind of go to move for the goalies is you stand before the face off, and once the puck's dropped, you drop into the butterfly, which I assume is to help you know where you're at on the ice, and and so you know kind of where you can move. Do you think that standing should be something that more blind goalies do? And is there, do you think that there needs to be some sort of training so you don't lose your crease? When- um, so there, there's some training that I did when I started. Because when I first started playing, I was exclusively a stand-up goalie. Um, and so I've learned how to keep track, do the, the bottom corner, and then just being able to move within that square. Um, and that was something that was taught to me. Um, we, we had a goalie coach for a little while, a guy named Daniel, and unfortunately he disappeared. So I don't know what happened to the guy, <laughs> but, um, he's they the one who that. originally taught me how to, to do that. And then we started working on butterfly, um, because I, I did play exclusively standing and, and after that first tournament seeing how the Canadians do it, they're always down in that butterfly. So I, obviously I had to learn how to do that. And I had to develop that flexibility because I, I wasn't, when I first started, I could not get into the butterfly properly. I couldn't do it. Um, it probably took me about two months to be able to get into a, a proper butterfly. Um, and then it took me almost another year before I am now capable of stretching out. If I'm in the center of the net, I can put the blade of my skate on each post. Uh, it took a lot of stretching and conditioning for that. But um, do I think that other goalies should do the, the stand-up play? Um, that's a personal preference, to be honest. Um, I wouldn't recommend someone to just try and start doing it. Um, well, yeah, I get, and I guess that's... it leaves holes. I guess my question is, since you since you have been a stand-up goalie and you do have a better kind of idea of your crease, is there? Do you think there's an an easy way to train blind goalies to play more like sighted goalies? Does that does that make um, sense? So I, I still wouldn't recommend the stand-up methodology because it does leave holes. Um, there's a time and a place for it. Now by our standards of rules for the national team as a goalie. And I only know this because I'm trying to get in it. Um, during a faceoff, you are required to stand. When the puck is in your team's offensive zone, you are required to stand. Now, if you can dis- uh, discern that the puck is coming towards your zone from the other side of the ice, you are allowed to preemptively drop into the butterfly uh, before they're given the signal to be allowed to shoot. So you're not required to stay standing. I have a tendency that I will hold my standing ground um, and I might, you know, slowly slide, you know, forward, backward, left or right, depending on where the puck is going, uh, just as far as, you know, a, a gauge. And if the puck were to quickly go cross ice, from you know far side to near side, it's a little easier to get yourself into a position while standing, um, but it's a little harder to block a shot. So if they were to make a quick pass and a quick strike, 
there's a chance they're going to be able to sneak one in on you because you're not in a good position to cover the lower part of the ice. You're in a better position to cover up high, but not down low. Now, we practiced with a full net. When we play a game, we use full width, half height. So now that we're using the, the half nets, I tend to butterfly sooner um, and or stay there longer. And that's simply because my body is, is size that I cover two-thirds of the net. Just by being in the butterfly, even if I'm not stretched from post to post, I still cover two-thirds of the net. Now, again, I, I do have a tendency to come off the posts. You know, if I feel that my back is, is too far into the net, I'll use my shoulders across the top of the crossbar to kind of give myself a nudge forward so that I come off the net and I'm a little bit more up front. Um, because you can use your weight and your hips to throw yourself backwards and still stay in the butterfly in a good position and be able to move backwards when you're out in front if you had to get into the net for you know a quick inside strike or if you're trying to cover a wraparound or something. Um, my reasoning for wanting to come out of the net is that if you're at a distance and I come out of the net, I make the appearance of the net smaller. I make the far side of the net harder to hit. And I buy myself a little bit more time as far as reactionary because a shooter is going to be a little more hesitant to fire if they're having a harder time seeing that far side of the net. And it has the visual appearance that the near side is completely covered by my body because you're not going to get to it if I'm out. It's a lot harder to to pinpoint a spot to nail without hitting me. Um, and then having the quick hands, if they were to shoot to the far side, and I can guess trajectory based off of where it's coming off of the stick and and the sound of the puck that's it's making, I am quick enough with my hands that I can pick it out of the air. So I can take away that far side just by being out of the net slightly and then having those quick hands to react to where I think the puck is going to go. And I can either deflect it, catch it, or even just knock it down and then lay on it. So you, like you said, you played center before. You shifted into goalie about three years ago. What is the one piece of advice or knowledge that you gained from another blind goalie? that you think really has helped you out to, to this day? Um, two people who gave me very similar advice. Uh, Mark is one. The other is Joey Cabral. And one of the things that they had brought up to me was one, stick positioning and blocker hand and keeping the glove on your glove hand side up um, because you're you're occupying more visual space and it's easier to drop your hands to make a block than it is to lift them because the gear's heavy you know the, your, your glove weighs uh, about a pound uh, your blocker is close to three pounds plus stick in hand so you have that weight that makes it more difficult to lift your hands to try to reach up high to snag something so by keeping your hands up at at least shoulder height, 
and keeping your body big, you know, using your, your elbows and your shoulders and, and, and just occupying airspace, um, you give yourself a better shot at being able to um, block a shot or at least obstruct and make a decision on a shot more difficult to make. Because then if they do try to sneak one into your arms, it's a lot easier to just drop the hands. You can drop it real quick and, and you're already in position. You're, you're going to block that low shot eight times out of ten. Um, and the other thing was stretching. Stretching and conditioning is vital. I, I can't even stress that enough. If you don't have the proper flexibility to stretch out from the butterfly or to kick out that leg on a quick shot where you may have open space and they're trying to sneak one in on the ground off to your side, you risk injury um, and or you end up risking the, that puck going in because you don't have the flexibility to get out there and you're cutting yourself short. Um, so the conditioning is, is an absolute must, um, whether it's butterfly stretching, whether it's even trying to get yourself to do the full splits or doing, you know, martial arts, long stretching. Um, it, it's just so critically important, not only for your physical health, but just to be able to play the position period. Right. Yeah. I'm, I, I, you know, seeing even, Seeing goalie saves, I always am amazed because there's just a level of contortion that goalies get that that I I am just not capable of, um, and and especially in blind hockey because you know you guys you guys can't see anything. So the fact that you're able to be in the butterfly and still kick your leg out and and make the save without knowing where the puck. Is. I mean, you obviously you know that the puck's in this area, but for all intents and purposes, you don't know where the puck is. Um, the, it, it always amazes me. Uh, so, yep. Let me give you a visual. Okay. So I'm, I'm sitting here at my, my desk right now and I've got plenty of space to do this just to give you an idea of the body positioning. Okay. When you go to get into the butterfly, you have to take your, your legs and you have to turn your hips inward bringing your knees together, right? And you need to drop your knees straight down onto the ground or ice underneath you, okay? You then have to turn your knees to where your shins are pointing outward. So your toes are pointing towards the front of the net or the center of the ice, okay? Now you have to take your left hand, which has a blocker, or in my case, my left hand has my blocker and my glove, uh, or not my blocker, my, my blocker on my stick. And you're holding that blocker about shoulder height with your elbow down slightly so that you can kind of cover some space between your body and the top of your pad. And then your right hand has your glove and your glove has to be open and you want your fingers slightly on an angle with your hand open as wide as you can. And you're holding that position, all right? And so now you're in the center of the net. Puck comes in. You know it's going to go to your left side. So you'll kind of do a little slide using your hips and your, your right knee to push yourself to that left post, right? And they take a quick shot. 
and that shot's going to the far post right side. You have to be able to take your left leg, turn it under you, open up your right hip and kick your leg out to a full stretch so that your pad goes from your body all the way across the ice in front of the far post. And then you have to be able to drop your thigh and your backside all the way to the ice so that they can't five hole you on a rebound. And you have to hold that position till that puck either stops or gets kicked into the corner. And then as soon as that plays over, you've got to be able to reset yourself, turn your hips back in, get back into the butterfly and be able to move from post to post for the next play on a rebound or whatever it may come. Yeah. See, I could do that first thing with the getting onto the ice with my knees, the uh, twisting and pointing of feet and sliding would all be the difficult things that I would just not do. I just could not do. <laughs> First three weeks, I couldn't do it. First I, month, I finally got the butterfly. To be able to move the way I do now has taken two years. Yeah, no, see, here's the thing. Uh, 100% respect to all blind goalies because I do not want to do that job in any way, shape, or form. I I talked to my wife and I told her, you know, if something ever happens and I go 100 blind, maybe I'll maybe I'll try goalie. I no, no, there's no way. Just go defenseman. Yeah. You'll get a lot of your uh, cues uh, from the goalie and where to be, and you don't have to worry about getting hit in the face of the puck. No, you still do. I, Not I to still, the same degree. I don't know, man. I I was a feared for my life at the Henderson Festival sometimes. <laughs> Especially when Tony's tearing down the wing. You know that puck's coming in hard and fast. Uh, so I have my I have kind of a two-parter for my last question for you. Um, how important is equipment um, advancement for you as a blind goalie? Because you know when you, you hear about NHL goalies, they all get new pads every season. They all have little tweaks to technology that, that make them lighter or stiffer or more flexible or you know yada yada all that stuff um so how how important is that to you as a blind goalie and along the lines of equipment you know in the and you and i have talked off offline about this um helmets are a really important way for goalies to show their personality and to have a little piece of them visible to the world you know they're they're in pads that you can't see anything except for their eyes how how important is individuality for goalies in this sport when in all honesty you can't see your helmet well just because you can't see your helmet doesn't mean people aren't watching <laughs> um we've played games where you, you've got pretty good sized crowds i mean you know the, these disabled hockey festivals you, you could have three, four, 500 people watching at any given point in time. So, I mean, there's eyes on you. Um, not to mention scouts and, and family of other players and stuff. So, you know, they, they want to know what's going on. They want to see what, what you're about personally. So I, I, it's, it's an interesting concept. Uh, have I really thought about it? Not until recently when we started having discussions, but um, you know, it, it may be something that I will, 
cruise, I have some ideas. Um, as far as equipment advancement, uh, I've been wearing the same gear now for two years solid. And I don't know, I'm of the mindset of you get certain equipment, you get comfortable. And you, you know what to expect with the gear that you have. <clears throat> now, the other part to that is you can tell when some of your gear is starting to fail. Because if something feels off, you're going to know it. You know, so you might have to make little repairs or tweaks to it. But as far as buying new gear every year, yeah, this stuff is too expensive. I mean, let's let's be real. Um, a full set of goalie gear, head to toe, uh, for real high quality gear, run you thirty five hundred dollars. You know, my helmet alone was three hundred and fifty bucks. My blocker glove. Or you know the blocker pad was was two fifty. My trapper was three hundred. The leg pads, they'll run you, you know, depending on your size and the type of pad you want, anywhere between six and fifteen hundred. You know, you you might pay six hundred a leg. Um, a body vest could easily run you, you know, five to eight, and then you still got to get skates. You know, my, my skates cost me 400 um, My sticks are $120 a stick. It ain't cheap to be a goalie, unfortunately. And in the blind leagues, you don't necessarily have the funding on teams to be able to fund that. So a lot of the times a player has to get their own stuff. Um, so, I mean, it, it becomes a decision of once you're properly protected, do you feel comfortable enough with having to do occasional repair jobs on your own? Um, or, you know, do you have the finances that warrant you say, hey, I'm going to get new gear every year. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a personal preference. I don't think it's necessary. Um, I think that some of these guys in the NHL, they've got so much money that they're just like, well, I might as well get new gear. You know, it's, well, I guess, do you, I mean, are, are, do you watch the new goalie equipment? If there's anything that they've advanced that makes you interested, in, maybe not go out and buy it, but I mean, do you, do you pay attention to that, that world? Not really, to be honest with you. Um, I did it first because the equipment I had was so shoddy. So I was really involved in looking for what was going to be the most protection for my body. Um, I mean, the, the last new piece of gear I actually bought, which I mentioned earlier, was the goalie strap because I, I didn't even know it existed. Um, and I went out, you know, bought top of the line strap because fortunately the goalie straps are cheap. Uh, probably the, one of the most important pieces of gear is the least expensive. I <laughs> uh, got my goalie strap for 70 bucks. Yeah. Um, but do I keep track of what's going on now? No, I really don't. I mean, it's how much more can they improve? I, I'll be honest with you. I, I get, you know, the only place that I might think about upgrades is the helm. And it's simply because, man, getting hit in the head with that metal puck, helmet or not, it will rock your brain. I mean, it, it you start seeing stars for a minute. Um, so that'd probably be the one piece I would check. But as far as just generally watching equipment, no. Uh, maybe a stick. But beyond that, no, I don't. And then as far as sticks go, it, that's a personal preference too. Like, I won't use graphite. I refuse to use graphite. And my reasoning for that is you can't feel the, you can't feel the puck. I think you're all wrong, and I will die on this hill. 
but you are allowed to like like your wood sticks. Josh, you're included in this. I I just I I guess I'm I am a hockey nerd to the point that like I watch hockey, I, I listen to stuff about hockey. I'm really interested in the advances in equipment, but I at the same time I was also replacing all of my stuff over the past year because it was all things that I'd used in high school. So maybe maybe that's why I'm a little more kind of tied into it right now. But there's some cool there's some cool goalie advances that are that are coming out. I mean, it's all about materials and and different little advantages. So well if if you're strong enough and you're flexible enough, the heavier gear isn't going to be a big deal. I mean, my gear is only a couple of years old. Let's let's be realistic. It's not you know, it's not like I'm wearing 25-year-old gear. My first set of goalie pads was easily from the 80s. I mean, I it had more holes in it than Swiss cheese. Um, I could get hit in the gut, and my stomach would have just been exposed. You know, it, it's... <laughs> the gear I have now is, is far superior. But, um, yeah, and as far as the sticks go, I don't know. I just, I like the wooden stick because when the puck hits it, I get reverberation that I can feel even through all of that padding because even your gloves as a goalie are twice as thick as a skater's gloves. And the graphite deadens the feel of that reverberation because I've tried both set, both types of sticks. And I just feel like the reverberation is different from a graphite to where it's not the it doesn't vibrate or reverb enough that I can feel it through the blocker glove. And so I just, I really prefer the wooden sticks. I like the weight of the wooden stick. I feel that I have more control and that I can better gauge how much force I'm using when I'm trying to either swipe at a loose puck or, you know, try to pull a puck into myself. I just, I feel like I feel it better and it's just personal preference. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree that it is personal preference and that you are all still wrong. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, we'll agree to disagree. How all right. That sound? Sounds good. Uh, so Bill, I, I asked this to everyone blind hockey. Our goal is the Olympics in 2026, 2030, whenever it happens, our goal is the Paralympics. What do you think that the community as a whole needs to do to make sure that we're, we we put on a good showing when we get to the international the the big international <laughs> stage. Um, and what do you think we need to do to continue the growth that we've seen in the sport so far over the past couple of years? Social media presence is a good start. Um, podcasts like this are a good way to get things out there. Um. And 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 you know, I have a lot of ideas and, and theories on you know how to get this stuff out there. Um, one of the things that I think here in the states we fail at is broadcast of the sport. Um, the fact that it has to go through HockeyTV.com and people have to have a subscription just to watch a blind hockey game that you might only get to see once a year of, of us play is insanity to pay $30 in a month just to, you know, watch a live stream of a hockey game that may or may not even have announcers. 
I think is a problem. Um, I think that there needs to be more uniformity uh, of, you know, getting teams to grow so that we can have a schedule, not just, oh, hey, we're having a big festival at the end of the year and let's throw all of our players into four teams and see where it goes. I, I would like to see it to where uh, through social media, through TV media, radio media, whatever it may be, um, that the conversation of blind sports be, be grown across the board between all sports um, using things such as the internet, such as charity event games, you know, we, we tend to do a game with uh, the Wounded Warrior Project every so often here in Chicago. And we'll play against, uh, you know, disabled military, or whether it's um, mental or, or standing disabled soldiers, and we'll play hockey with them. Um, and they'll, they'll get the blind puck, and, and they get on the ice and play with us. And it's usually pretty good games. Um, I haven't lost yet in that, so that's good. But, um, you know, getting that out there, maybe videotaping those games putting those games out on YouTube, uh, having an announcer broadcast, you know, speaking about what's going on on the, on the ice. Um, cause when you, when you broadcast a game and there's no announcer, well, you get blind people trying to watch it. They don't know what's going on. You need that verbal depiction. You know, it's, you need your, your blind hockey variant of Doc Emmerich or, or Pat Foley out there, you know, given that verbal depiction of what's going on so that people can see what's going on, you know, who can't see. Um, maybe social media groups, you know, um, in blind baseball, we have something called Beatball Nation and we can invite people into this nation and they can watch games live because someone will just have their phone and they live stream the game and people will announce the games and, you know, it's an archive of games that are, you know, viewable. And then there's conversations that happen about player moves and, and, team changes or roster changes or new teams coming into the league. And there's always that conversation all year round, even in the off season about the sport, because we have this Facebook group where you've got that constant social interaction between all teams, not just your own. Um, you know, and, and, and just trying to use the platforms that we have to reach out to the blind community and, and not just the blind community, but all communities to try to bring in more people. Um, I think that through awareness, even to the visual community who can see if they know about the sport, they may know someone who's blind, who doesn't know about the sport. And they could say, Hey, you know, they got this blind baseball, they get this blind hockey thing, this, that, or the other, maybe you can try that since you're looking for something to do. Cause you can't see. And now you start bringing more people in. Because you're not just reaching out to your blind community. You need to reach out to the community as a whole. Everyone needs to know about this. Keeping it confined, you're keeping us, you know, we're keeping ourselves in a block. It's this little square of, okay, this is our little blind group. We play sports together. Great. Now, you want to see it to where this becomes essentially the blind NHL. Or in beat baseball, the blind MLB. Where maybe one day you've got a full roster. You've got a full schedule. Games are televised. Maybe even be able to start playing, paying players down the road. Because now it's a real thing. It's not just a hobby. Let's make it something tangible. Something that transcends our generation. 
and reaches generations to come and reaches fans everywhere. You know, using TV, social media, getting out in the newspaper, getting out on the radio, doing interviews, getting getting in with the sports channels. You know, if the sports channels know about this stuff, they're gonna be curious. What's going on here? What is this? Why are why are we not covering this? Because this is so interesting. You know, you see wheelchair basketball get covered all the time. Why can't they cover blind hockey or blind baseball? You know, let's let's reach. Let's stretch our arms out and let's touch everybody. Keep it broad rather than just within the box. And six feet distant. <laughs> Until May. Until May. No, I think I think all of those are valid and, and that's definitely something that, that we all need to work on. because um, because we are so small, it it is reliant on a lot more on the individuals to help grow the game. And so we're we're really glad that you you came on and and were willing to talk with us for the uh fourth time, fifth time and <laughs> whatever it may be. Yeah. It's and, always a good time and I'll come back anytime you guys want me to. I have no problem. Yeah, man, that that's that is definitely in the plans. Um so where where can where can the fine folks find you on social media? Um I've I've got multiple platforms i don't use them as much as i should admittedly and i probably should use them more um i'm on twitter at beatball bill or no i'm sorry uh at comet ball bill 81 because our team here in chicago is the comets uh 81 is my jersey number both in baseball and in hockey um you know you just find me at bill landrum on facebook on uh tiktok um I don't, yeah, on Instagram too, at Bill Andrum. As a matter of fact, I got an Instagram. I don't use it much, but I do use it. Um, but yeah, if, you know, people want to reach out and, and converse, they can. If they want to follow the baseball team, you can go to www.chicagocomets.org uh, to follow my team here. If you're looking for the league, it's www.nbba.org. Um, as with blind hockey blind baseball does run on donations right now and the kindness of other people because we just don't have the ability to perform the funding that we need you got to watch it with 501c3 rules and there's a lot of legality that has to be going around um you know but maybe one day we'll get to the point where we say hey you know what we're going to do a, a benefit game and if you keep your receipt you could use it for a tax deduction or whatever and you know five dollars a head come watch blind hockey and, and, and you know half the proceeds goes to the team or something, which I think would be really cool, but that's down the road. Um, but yeah. Um, and then obviously with the Blackhawks, you know, uh, Chicago Blackhawks, blind or CBBH.com. And then, you know, the Blackhawks are on Facebook, Chicago Blackhawks, blind hockey. Uh, you can find us there. And, uh, yeah, if anyone wants to reach out, I'm, I'm always available to talk sports. I love it. It's just one of the things I do. So, do you do the dances on TikTok? I do not. I do not do the dances on TikTok. Um, Would you consider doing the dances on TikTok? You know, I'm I'm a hard rocker. I don't know, man. Um, I'd be more prone to maybe pick up the guitar and ram out some power chords, or you know, maybe do a little lightsaber shadow dueling or something. You know, I got. The, the Star Wars lightsaber. I'm real good with swords and stuff. So, you know, I might do something like that, but 
the dance is, I don't know, man. How much you paying me? <laughs> I mean, it's all for the views, man. It's all for the views. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd rather just stick to sports at that point. Um, you know, we, we primarily use our, my wife's got like 300,000 followers on TikTok, but it's primarily used on her TikTok account for, you know, promoting our, our daughter's disability. She's got, you know, do you think being blind sucks? Tourette syndrome. That's a nightmare. But um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I, I think I'll stick to the sports stuff. You know, on occasion I'll get on TikTok and I'll do like sports reports, you know, about the, the Cubs or the Blackhawks or the embarrassing bears. But yeah, and it's probably going to stay that way. I don't see me doing dances. I'm just saying, keep it, keep it in your back pocket for a rainy day. You might like it. <clears throat> yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. And <laughs> the music doesn't fit me. <laughs> you know, unless it's Metallica or a Dream Theater, I'm out. Well, Bill, as always, it's a pleasure to to sit down and talk to you. Thank you so much for for coming on, and uh, I'm sure we will we will have you on again in the near future. Yeah, it's it's a good time. Enjoyed talking to all three of you guys. Um, I enjoy, you know, our discussions and I look forward to getting back on the ice here real soon. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure, Bill. Thank you again for taking the time out of your Wednesday to come and speak with us. We really appreciate it. Again, good, it was nice talking to you, Bill, meeting you for the first time, for the third time. Um, I think this one was a lot smoother. Um, I, I can't wait to shoot on you. And when you do rob me, remember, it's just like the first I recorded. It's still going to be Drew. <laughs> it just you give it time, man. We'll, we'll get together and uh, I'll, I'll do my damnedest to keep you out of the net. How's that sound? Absolutely. Have a go, you, man. Stay safe. Take it light, brother. And that's going to do it for this episode of The Dented Puck. We post new content every Thursday on Anchor, Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Instagram at The Dented Puck and on Facebook at The Dented Puck Podcast. Send us your questions and correspondence to thedentedpuckpodcast at gmail.com. As always, thank you so much for tuning in, and we will see you in the next one.